Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 168 of the Ask the Coach show, where Ping Skills helps you improve your table tennis. 168 is the number of hours in a week. As it's Wednesday, we're going to talk about a drill of the week, so stay tuned to find out what it is. We'll have a discussion about the ITTF Star Awards, and in the questions, we'll talk about backhands, calluses, big bats, flicks, and dipping like a teapot. Oh, yes, it's a big show. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, Super Coach Alois Rosario is here with me to answer your questions. Welcome, Alois. Morning, Jeffrey. And uh, yes, we both uh, didn't have great nights, did we, Jeff? Both uh, this, this cold weather in Melbourne is catching up with us. It certainly is. Uh, you know, only a couple more weeks of winter. It feels like it's been a really long winter, so I'm looking forward to some uh, warmer weather soon. Yeah, indeed. Me too. Me too. Yeah, Bring it on. I've heard that some people, um, I know this is going to be hard to believe, don't like my number facts and just skip ahead to avoid them. So I've I tricked them. I've tricked them here, Alois. I'm going to give them two extra ones right now. Ha ha. But I think. They're probably just going to oh. skip now that I've said that. They're always one step ahead of me. Yeah, no. Uh, let's just go. Let's just go to the on this day, Jeff. That's no, there's 168 primes, less than 1,000, and some Chinese consider 168 a lucky number because when they say it, it kind of sounds like a similar phrase, which means fortune all the way. Okay, well that that's almost interesting for our uh, our uh, Marlongs of this world, maybe. Uh, Maybe he would like the number 168 on his chest. Maybe. Yeah. But my, my on this day fact is probably much more interesting. Um, in 1960, Sputnik 5, the first satellite to carry animals into orbit and back is launched. So there you go. Our animals make it into space for the first time, 1960. So that is... 55 years ago. And we talked a little bit about this before, didn't we? That You know, like, they, they've, been, they've been doing this for 55 years. It really hasn't progressed that much. Yeah, it doesn't seem to have, does it? But there is all this talk, Alice, and maybe we should research this a bit, about, you know, um, taking tourists up into space. So, yeah. and, and I know the guy that makes the, the Tesla, the electric car, he's really into space travel and, you know, is convinced that if the we're going to survive as a race, we need to be on multiple planets, you know? So, yeah. yep. um, well, so there's still some smart people looking into this. But, yeah, Good. it just Good. doesn't seem to have progressed a lot, does it? Yeah. No, and on, and on a similar note, in 1871, American pioneer aviator Orville Wright was born too. So there you go. Bit of, you know, bit of uh, aviation uh, history for today. Is that one of the Wright brothers, the first guys yeah. to fly the plane? That's right. That's right. Oh, that is right. Great. Great information on this day in history, Alois. <laughs> um, now, yesterday's Pink Seals question of the day was, what is the best advice you've received in a match? Did anybody get any pearls of wisdom? Uh, yes. Um, Ilya uh, got, the, got the gem, tried to hit the other side of the table. So must have been a very wise man that uh, told you that, Ilya. And... Um, uh, Thad said, try watching the ball. In other words, put your glasses on. <laughs> That's also very wise. Um, 
And Ivalo said, stay positive, keep the initiative and do not overhit. That's not bad, you know. Um, and Benjamin Mercury Vitas got this advice, win the damn match. And he won. So, uh, so obviously some uh, pretty hot coaches out there with lots of words of wisdom. And Akshat said, uh, got the advice, tie your lace. Um, but on the blog, uh, Gene uh, Balthazar, one of our premium members, um, said, the best help, help I got from outside um, during a match so far is not actually getting advice per se. It was when a teammate um, sometimes called a timeout for me at moments when I wouldn't have thought doing it. So that is, that is also a form of advice, you know, just when to take a break. And often when someone's looking from outside, it's a little bit easier to tell um, when to take a break. Uh, you know, rather than when you're in the heat of the moment and you just want to play the next point and and uh, and perhaps not thinking as clearly. And Dieter um, said, I haven't had a lot of it yet, as in advice. One day I was losing badly against a player who in my eyes was mediocre but had the style that suits me least, a blocker. After losing two sets badly, a club mate who came by called me out and told me I'd been aiming for her back end most of the time running around mine so and allowed her to punch block me out of the rally. So just that little bit of advice of changing direction helped Dieter. So there you go. Sometimes advice from the sideline can be gold. Yeah, it certainly can, Alois. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that just that simple piece of advice of changing direction can really turn around a match. And it, it might be something you can't think of in the, in the heat of battle. So... Often good to have someone just watching and they, they can see it probably more clearly at times. But I guess, on the other hand, that's something you should be working on yourself um, to try and pick up those things in a match while you're playing. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. All right. Let's get on to the Ping Skills question of the day, which is, what is the strangest thing you have seen on a table tennis court? So, again, jump on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash pingskills or onto our blog at pingskills.com and let us know what is the strangest thing you have seen on a table tennis court. Okay, Alois, the drill of the week. What are we talking about today? Yeah, so um, rather than a, a particular drill, I thought we'd talk about random drills and what they are and why they're beneficial. So um, there are... There are um, different types of drills that you can do. One is set drills where you know where the ball is coming each time. So, um, for example, a lot of our footwork drills to start with are just set drills where um, I'll get my partner to play one to my forehand, one to my backhand, for example. But the random drills start to introduce an element of me not knowing where the ball's going. So if I don't know where the ball's going, then I also have to start to pay attention to uh, things like um, watching the ball better, um, and starting to take some cues from what my opponent's doing as well. So, um, so random drills are really useful, especially when you're starting to get <clears throat> closer to um, a tournament, then that's a good time to start to play more random drills because in a match situation, uh, that's what you'll get. You'll get more um, random placement where you don't know where the ball's going. Yeah, um, it seems like a difficult skill alloys is it is it something that is difficult or do you get um beginners to do random drills right from the start of their training um i would i would initially 
with all the footwork drills, do very set drills. So just get them to see where the ball or know where the ball's coming and just practice the movement. So move across here, move across there. Um, once they have the movement patterns in their mind, then I think they can start to move on to um, uh, more random drills where they, they have to watch the ball and then move, watch the ball, then move to whichever position um, they need to. Gotcha. And it is an important stepping stone because, like you said, in a match, you don't know where the ball's going. So really important, uh, these random drills. Yeah. We, we often get questions from players saying, um, you know, my forehand's really good in training, but when it gets into a match, um, it it breaks down. And sometimes that's the issue uh, because in practice, we practice our strokes from set positions where we know where the ball's coming. As soon as uh, we need to make a decision, move, and then play that stroke. It had, adds a whole um, new level of difficulty to it. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Makes a lot of sense. Now, if you're listening to this live, you're going to have to listen to me talk about the premium membership for a while. But if you're on the podcast or something, you don't want to listen to it, you hit that fast forward 15 seconds. But the premium membership has a whole section on training secrets where we talk about all the different drills you can do and we show you from very simple drills, um, like Alice talked about at the start, through to more complex ones and through to these random drills. And we even show you ways that you can do kind of half random drills where some of the time you don't know where the ball's going and some of the time you do, which is a great way to start practicing those random drills. So if you're interested, take a look at the premium membership at pingskills.com. And there is not only that training secrets course, there's a 52-week training plan, there's a serving course, a receiving course, sports psychology, everything you need to help improve your table tennis. So check out premium membership at pingskills.com. All right, back to the regular program, Alloys. Um, we want to talk a little bit about the ITTF Star Awards. What are these and, and what do we need to know about the ITTF Star Awards, Alloys? Yeah, so... Um... Yeah, so this is the third uh, running of the ITTF Star Awards. So um, it looks like it's going to be a, quite a regular event on the ITTF calendar. This year they're going to be in Lisbon. Um, so um, uh, Portugal from uh, on the 9th of December, so towards the end of the year. So they have eight categories. They've got the male table tennis star, female table tennis star, para male, para female, um, table tennis star point. So that's um, the highlight point of the year. Um, I think I know what's going to win that. Um, yeah, and that's then... a pretty uh, obvious one there, isn't it, Alloys? Yeah, the indeed. point of the century. Exactly. And then there's the table tennis star coach, uh, the table tennis breakthrough star, and the fair play star. So um, yeah, there's eight awards. The, nom- the nominees will be announced shortly, and then um, everyone's got the opportunity to vote on those uh, awards as well. So stay tuned. And when, uh, when the nominees come out and w- when the voting opens, we'll, uh, we'll let you know. Um, and uh, you can get on there and, uh, and, and have some influence on it. So last year, we were a little bit critical of the awards, um, saying that uh, with Kadri Aruna winning the male table tennis star award, I don't, it, I don't know what it actually meant as far as the the star um, of table tennis, you know. Um, and I think, you know, just from results, I I think it's actually put some undue pressure on him as well in the past year. Yeah, it could have done. I mean, 
Yeah, just the star awarded mayor. It makes him sound like he's one of the best players in the world. And like he's one of the top players in the world, but there's clearly a lot of players that were better. But yeah, so it was interesting to see what the star um, means. Um, but I yeah. guess it got everyone talking about players and table tennis, so that's a good thing. I wonder yeah, not- if... Is, is that breakthrough category new? I mean, maybe Aruna should have been in the breakthrough category. Yeah, perhaps. Um, and I think it might be a new category. So maybe that is a, in response to uh, some of the um, the comments from last year. So I know we did talk to um, uh, a few of the guys from ITTF and we had the opportunity to talk to them in uh, at the Australian Open and, and talked about that. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think the uh, the breakthrough star might be a better uh, option for someone like Aruna, who's, who did brilliantly well, obviously, um, in that previous year, um, doing so well at the World Cup. Um, but, you know, like for the table tennis star, I mean, if you if you go past um, Ma Long or Ding Ning, you know, world champions, I think it just attracts a little bit from that, uh, that overall table tennis star award. Yeah, it certainly does. And so do we know much about how it's decided? Is it all um, votes um, from people? Um, I think there's a bit of a combination. I'll have to try and find out that. Um, so there, um, I think there's a panel and then plus votes from the people. So, yeah, I'm not 100% sure on how it's, uh, how it's actually decided. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, let's, um, I'll put a link in the show notes to the ITTF Star Awards website. Make sure you check it out. We'll do a bit more research as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, great to have um, something like this by the ITTF. Gets everyone talking about it. So again, good job. And um, let's uh, stay tuned and keep an eye out on it. And we'll let you know more as we find out. All right, Alice, we've got a lot of good questions today. Um, first up, Mike D has jumped on and using the Google Q&A app, asked us a question live on the show. Thanks, Mike. He says, hi, guys. In your opinion, who has the best backhand in the game of table tennis in both men's and women's? Oh, interesting question. Um, you know, like in the past, I think it's probably Krianga. Um, I'm not sure now in the men's and women's. I like the. I mean, it has to be one of the Chinese, right? Because, I mean, they're just so solid. Um, they just never miss on the backhand side. Um, I suppose it depends um, on the type of stroke you're talking about. You know, Ma Long is so solid and so explosive. I'd have to go with Ma Long in the men's. Um, with the women's, oh, um, Ding Ning, you know, just because, well, I mean, yeah, her forehands, her forehands are really strong. I don't know. Lucy Wen, perhaps. What about you, Jeff? Um, yeah, Krianga certainly has an explosive backhand and looks incredible. Um, but if I was going to choose a backhand to have, I would much prefer to have Ma Long's. Um, like you said, just such a good backhand. He takes the ball close to the table, can rip over the top of it. It's a lot more penetrating than it looks. Um, yeah, although Krianga's got this big swing, uh, Ma Long for me. The women, I yeah, Ding Ning's one of my favourite players, so I guess I'd go with her. But um, as a side note, I Fukuhara is you know really playing well this year, and her backhand close to the table has been a key to that, I believe, Alois. So um, yeah, she's one to look out for as well with a different style of backhand with the with the pips. 
Yeah, so definitely. Yeah, we saw her at the Australian Open and uh, that Pip's backhand was devastating, wasn't it? She was really on top of it and uh, and really uh, punched through that ball beautifully. Yeah. Certainly. All right, good question, Mike. Now, Ernest says, right now I'm using a flared handle and when I play too long, suddenly I have a callus on my palm. Do you think changing blade with another handle will solve my callus problem? It really hurts. Um, it might solve it temporarily, Ernest. So you might. Um, so what he's talking about is he's got a flared handle, so the handle goes out here. So perhaps the handle's pressing on a particular part of his um, hand. Um, but the thing is, if you get a different um, shape of handle, it's just going to press in a different spot in your hand. I think. I think it's more about how um, how hard you're holding it. If you just relax your hand a little bit. Um, it'll probably um, hurt a little bit less and probably develop a bit slower. However, you're always going to develop some sort of um, harder skin on your hands because, I mean, hands aren't used to the repetition of something just rubbing, rubbing, rubbing um, continuously on your hand. And if you're training uh, regularly, you know, training three, four, five days a week, um, hands just aren't used to that. Um, and that skin isn't wasn't wasn't made for uh, for something rubbing against it uh, like that constantly. So um, yeah, so it will develop. Probably just managing it and just trying to hold your bat a little bit cl- uh, lighter. So I don't I don't have them so badly now. But uh, yeah, I know when I played. So I, I used to develop them here and here. Um, and I mean, it's still a little bit uh, still a little bit red there and a little bit built up. But um, yeah, I know when I played a lot, that was that used to build up pretty hard yeah same with me Alois when I was uh, training all the time definitely on my hand had um, all the time had some hard skin there just and yeah I guess if you took a little bit of a break it would yeah um, go back a bit and then you might build up when you start playing more again Um, yeah I think it was never really a problem though like you said your hand just gets used to it but if you've got something that's really bad like Alice said, maybe try lightening off the grip um, and hopefully that will help. All right. Um, and if anyone else has any other suggestions, leave a comment on our blog. Love to hear your thoughts about um, calluses. What a great topic. <laughs> um, it, it can be painful though. Um, and I also, Alice, used to sometimes get calluses on my feet. Now that would hurt a lot. Anyway, (laughs) let's see. The next question is from Brian. And Brian says, as I get better, I'm finding that more shots catch the edge of my bat or a finger. There is no limit on the size of the bat. So would I benefit from using a slightly bigger bat? And a related question, should I watch the ball right to the bat? Uh, Yeah, interesting, Brian. So uh, Brian and I had a bit of... uh discussion backwards and forwards a little bit about this um, after I answered his question on the Ask the Coach page as well. Um, yeah, I don't. I really don't believe that increasing the size of your bat is the answer. I think your second thought of watching the ball is the real answer. Um, no matter what the size of the bat, if you're not watching the ball properly, you'll always get mishits or it'll hit your finger or whatever. So, um, so definitely for me, watching the ball is the key. If you're watching the ball, then you're, then you're going to get much better contact. I mean, if you see the best players in the world play with a bat, you know, this size, they can just go bang, 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 because they're basically hitting the ball 
in the middle of the racket or exactly where they want to each time. So um, it's developing the skill and watching the ball, I think, more more than anything else, Brian, rather than changing the, the size of your bat, perhaps throwing out the weight of um, of your racket and all that sort of thing as well. Yeah, and I guess, you know, the standard table tennis bat is that size because it's a, it's a good compromise between being, you know, too big and hard to manoeuvre and being the, a good size to um, catch a lot of balls. Um, and, yeah, like I always like to watch the top players. If they're not using massive bats, then you probably don't need to either. Um, yeah, good question. What about the question of watching the ball right to the bat, Alois? I find this one an interesting question. Yeah, I think um, wherever you can, definitely watch that ball all the way to to the bat, you know? So, I mean, um, when you're playing a forehand, it's difficult to watch it all the way to here. Um, but definitely just keep keep focusing on tracking the ball as long as you can. So just try to track the ball, track the ball, track the ball, um, wherever you can um, is definitely the answer. So, yeah, don't, uh, don't let that out of your sight. Great advice. Great advice. Now, another Brian has jumped on. Thanks, Brian. Uh, live on the show using the Google Q&A app and asked a question. And anybody can do this by going to our Google Plus page. And you can find that by going to pingskills.com and go to the footer of our website and find the Google icon. Um, Brian asks, when I'm chopping, I always feel awkward and it feels like I don't have the proper stroke. Do you have any exercises to practice chopping? Um, yeah, probably um, maybe the, the easiest one is to, if you have got a training partner is to get them to feed some multi-ball to you. I think it's a little bit more consistent um, to practice your chopping. So if you get someone feeding um, the multi-ball, um, get them close to the table and just feeding out some some stronger topspin balls and you just uh, stay back from the table and practice that chopping stroke. Um, we've got a lesson on both the backhand chop and the forehand chop in our uh, on our lessons, strokes and techniques page. So um, head to that, take a good look at uh, our basic tips on the strokes, um, keep them in mind and perhaps get someone to feed you some multi-ball. I think it's probably the easiest and, and most effective way of practicing your chopping. Yeah, sounds, sounds like a good idea. Um, so Brian, I'll also, yeah, as Alice said, I'll put links in the show notes to both of those chopping videos but I'll also put a link um, to the multi-ball course. Um, Most of it's for premium members, but there are a few there that some people can watch. And the multi-ball extras, we talk about exactly this, how you can practice some different things like chopping. That's one example, using multi-ball. Great tool. Everyone should uh, take a look at multi-ball and try and incorporate some of it in their training if they can. Okay. Romeo has asked, I'm sure we have all seen how players attack the flick to their backhand with their backhand. The question is, are they doing a topspin or a counter hit? I find it hard to believe that they are even able to attack the ball. Yeah, it's um, at the higher level, they definitely do a topspin stroke. So, so what Romeo is talking about is if you put the ball short, someone flicks it to you and then uh, what a stroke can you play next? So, the better players are definitely taking that ball and top spinning it um, on both the backhand and forehand side. Um, one, they're seeing that ball a lot earlier and a lot clearer. Um, two, they they have really nice, efficient strokes. So it's not 
a big stroke uh, because you just haven't got time. And three, they're probably just stepping away from the table quickly enough. So after making that short ball, they see the person flicking, they recognize that, they just step back half a pace to give themselves a little bit more time to make the top spin on the next ball. Um, often I find off the flick, it can be a difficult top spin because the ball feels heavier. When they flick the ball flat, um, it hasn't got much top spin on it itself. So you need to just lift that, uh, lift your top spin a little bit more. The ball's coming fast and flat, so your stroke needs to be a bit more vertical on that next ball as well. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I was a little confused. I was, I thought they were talking about the doing the backhand flick, but they're talking about attacking after someone's flicked the ball to you. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what Romeo's talking about. Let me just have yeah, a quick gotcha. look. Yeah. Yep. yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, uh, certainly is a topspin, isn't it? And like, um, I find it incredible how the backhand has um, improved over the last 10 years, Alice. It's just become such an important part of the game these days. Yeah, and Romeo, yeah, Romeo was specifically talking about the backhand too. So the backhand now has become so efficient because they're use, using their wrist so well. So, you know, when someone attacks to them now, so it's just a matter of this, bang, you know, it's here and um, a real short, uh, sharp use of the wrist, um, especially when they're caught out for time uh, to generate. Yeah, and the top players generate so much speed from close to the table with such a short stroke. It doesn't look that aggressive, but... It really is, um, like you said, efficient and doesn't give your opponent much time and comes through with lots of top spin. Yeah, so another tip for people, watch the top players. Um, you can do that using ITTV, which is on the ITTF website. Great way to enjoy table tennis and learn something at the same time. All right, next question is from Sumit, who says, when I'm trying to hit a fast forehand top spin or a forehand smash, my left shoulder falls down. Then I either hit the ball into the net or push it further and miss it off the table. What can I do to make sure that my left shoulder does not fall away? Uh, good question, this one. Um, <clears throat> it's one of my pet um, projects here. So, so when you're playing a stronger shot, what you need to do is think about your rotation. So this is you. Um, think about your rotation of your body this way, not this way. If you're doing this, then your, your power isn't going in the right direction. If you're doing this, then your power is going forwards. So your rotation gets the power going forwards. If you're doing this, then your power is going that way. Um, now, this has been something I've been searching for for a while. I did when I, When this question came up, I did try to have a look for it again. I think it's in Karate Kid 2. And maybe towards the end, there's a scene where Mr. Miyagi has got this little stick with um, the two balls and he's going like that. And I, I've never been able to find it because I'm not that, you know, good with movies and stuff. But, um, but I think that's what he is talking about. If anyone knows the scene and can just, like, send me a link to it, please, that'd be great. I had a bit of a look the other day. I can't find it. I'm no good at that. Yeah, it's Karate Kid too. the little drum things, and he, he turns them back and forth, and, and they swing back and hit. That, that's, that's it. it. That's it. Where is it, right. though? I can't find it. All right, someone send us a link, Karate Kid, where Mr. Miyagi's using those uh, little drum things that he swings back and forth. 
All right. So, Alice, for those that are, what, are listening to the audio podcast, what you're talking about is your shoulder shouldn't dip. So you shouldn't be sort of standing up and and. I'm a little teapot. Yeah, like, like a teapot. teapot. You shouldn't do that. Teapot. Your no. shoulders should remain the same height and just twist. Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, another another way I have found has been useful to explain it is those little Lego men. You know the little Lego men? So they twist, their upper bodies twist um, like you should be twisting. So they don't tip sideways, but they just twist around. So, uh, yeah, if you can be like a little Lego man and twist like that um, with your stroke, that could resonate with a few people as well. That All right, everyone be, go out there and play your forehand like a Lego man. Yeah, Love I'm it. sure there's a few of you out there that still play with Lego. Admit it, come on. <laughs> All right, good question, Sumi Jet. All right, last one is from Brian. Is another question live on the show. Thanks, Brian. He says, I have a Nitaku Haniyoshi defensive blade and Exium Vega Asia rubbers on both sides. Is this setup suitable suitable for chopping or should I get a different one? Um, yeah, the, the blade's okay. Um, the blade sounds like it might be the right speed for you. The Vega, the Vega um, rubbers are quite fast and you might find that too fast. Depends on, depends on your level, of course. Um, <clears throat> so if it feels, if it feels like you're able to control the ball well enough, then I think it's okay because you will be able to get, generate good spin with the Vega rubbers, but, um, you may find it's too fast as well, especially when someone plays a, a spinnier or a faster top spin at you, um, to be able to control that ball. See how you go. Um, maybe, maybe you can just go down, um, uh, a little bit with the speed of the rubber that you choose. Yeah. Um, Brian, we're not really equipment experts, so um, take our advice with a little bit of grain of salt. But to me, that does sound like a fast, you know, combination for chopping. But again, if, if it's working for you and you like it, stick with it. We don't like people just changing for no reason. But I would have thought maybe a slower rubber as well. But, you know, personal preferences. Um, there you go. All right. Well, Alois, that wraps up show 168, another big show. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thanks, everyone, for your questions. And thank you, Alois. Thanks, Jeff. And we made it through the show. That's a, that's a big win for us. Good it work. Indeed, yes. This Melbourne winter's been too long. Anyway, we'll see you all later. Don't forget to comment on the Pink Skills question of the day. Don't forget to visit pingskills.com and sign up for our free newsletter. Have a great day, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.